Well, hi everybody, it's Jean Nathan. It's Crosstown Conversations again. And um, I have uh, one of the creative creatives in the city on with me today, Doug McCash, who also has journalistic credentials, of course, but um, I think probably a lot of people who read um, his material in The Advocate don't know about his uh, uh, depth in uh, his, his art career and um, probably vice versa uh, to some extent, because of course, you know, certain people are reading the newspaper and certain people are not. Um, so I want to uh, open by saying, uh, this is a gentleman who uh, has one foot in the journalistic world and one foot in the arts world. And um, I think one of the reasons he's on today, I wanna to talk about the art of Mardi Gras um, for obvious reasons. I mean, it's just all over every aspect of it. Um, but from his vantage point, which is really focusing on the finer points of the arts that are involved. And so um, with that, um, let me get rolling here with um, Doug. Um, I, I certainly have observed over the years that in all of your writing about the art, you are most fascinated by art that in one way or another, winds up in public space as opposed to locked up in a gallery or museum somewhere. Is that a fair statement? That is a very fair statement. Um, gosh, I think uh, sometime along the line, I learned that um, that that uh, to reach people, you know, to write about art and to reach people, um, the people uh, need to have seen the art. And so when you find yourself writing about architecture or you or you write about public art, or graffiti or Mardi Gras, people have actually seen what you're talking about. And that's a big plus. Um, you know, it, it, I feel more connected. I think, I think I'm, I'm actually more connected to uh, more people. Doesn't mean that I don't love the stuff that goes on in, uh, in the galleries and museums. I do, it's very dear to me. But, but as far as uh, communication is concerned, that's a, that's, a, that's a real narrow slice of the pie, if you know what I mean. Uh, and also, you have a background in um, in in uh, public art. So one of the first ways I ever came in touch with Doug McCash was the the mural on the side of the firehouse on Basin Street. Um, yeah, is, is that's correct characterization. And um, I'll always uh, enjoy that work. And that's part of my re regular uh, pathway from my home on Esplanade to the CBD or the quarter or uptown or wherever. So yeah, yeah that was a wonderful fantastic. canvas, wasn't it? Wasn't it a great? Yes, canvas? it was. Yeah. Well, gosh, back in the 1970s, uh, I, I had an art teacher at the University of Missouri, and her name was Tracy Montmany, and she had uh, been a muralist during the uh, WPA period. You know, oh, and, and so interesting. Yeah. Um, she she uh, painted under the name Elizabeth Tracy and then changed her name. But um, uh, in her point of view, from her point of view, um, public art was the real thing. You know, was that that was the art you were aiming for, uh, you know, uh, and, and all the, the studio art that you did, the easel art that you made was sort of um, training, you know, was sort of practice until you got a chance to do, uh, you know, to do art in public. And that really took, I, I believed her then, I believe her now. Um, I, I think that she, that is the fact. Was she of that generation that made art for WPA or she's writing about it? How old was she when no, she- No, she, she was of that generation. Um, she oh, had wow. painted uh, WPA murals, mostly on the East Coast, I think around Boston. And a funny story about that, years had gone by 
I don't know how old Tracy was, but but up there, and uh, they were renovating a library, and they had, uh, you know, what part of the renovation was going to be to um, restore one of her murals, and uh, whoever was doing the restoration, I think it was the federal government, um, issued a, a, you know, a call for conservators to um, to 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 uh, uh, preserve the mural, and so uh, uh, Miss Montmany, as I always called her, uh, uh, applied. And she thought she was perfect because she's the person who uh, who had painted the mural in the first place. Who better? Well, um, it, it turns out that philosophically, uh, the, it, no, there's nobody worse because the only person who would feel <laughs> at liberty <laughs> to change things would be the person who painted it in the first place. And that's so true. You would not want to hire an artist to come back and uh, and restore a, a, an artwork if you wanted it to be the same in the end. <laughs> Well, I often um, uh, note that my own interest in art, um, I think, you know, I think there's something innate about one's engagement in art. Those of us who are uh, really focused on it as opposed to other people who simply enjoy it, right? And um, I attribute it to a big post office that was on the foot of the Grand Concourse um, down the block from where I lived. And I went to that post office and there was a huge mural, uh, one of those classic murals of working people, you know, constructing something. I don't sure. remember the details anymore. It's still there, by the way, it was preserved. Um, but that, that and the statues in front of the Bronx courthouse on 161st Street, a little further up, I was on 149th Street, which is where the post office was. Um, also, they, they had those really sort of Greek influenced, I think, clusters of humans that you see in WPA work. And, and those two things, I think, had a, a tremendous um, impact on, on me in terms of training my eye towards art. It didn't hurt that I lived in New York City and that my teachers took me to the Met and to the Museum of Modern Art. And then I wound up spending a good part of my high school days volunteering for the Lighthouse for the Blind, which just happened to be a couple blocks away from the MoMA. And so I spent a lot of my younger days hanging out in the MoMA and you know, <laughs> being influenced by paintings like Guernica. Sure. I mean, come on. You know, oh, that old you... thing. Oh, that old thing. But how can you not be, you know, uh, affected? Course. When you look at that kind of work and not just Guernica, obviously, but all the other art of that era that was shown at the museum. Well, but, it, um, exposure is so important, but, but let me let me uh, knock that back to you. So let's say you're a kid like mine who grew up in New Orleans. Um, imagine the exposure that you have to arts and arts and crafts with a, you know, with a capital C. I mean, Mardi Gras is a... Um, yeah. Mardi Gras is a feast. It's an art festival. It's an art festival. That it 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 is it is uh, one of the world's great art festivals that doesn't call itself an art festival. Right. Well, let's talk about that. So um, I did feel, even though I did not personally get out to the parades this year, just a, a product of uh, mobility issues between my husband and me, and um, 
you know, not wanting to have to go figure out where to park and, and not being able to walk great distances. And we tried to get pedicab and that was an unsuccessful, um, just, you know, too late an effort. So we wound up basically holding forth on our porch and toasting people walking by in their costumes, which quite frankly was art enough, just looking yeah. at people in their costumes. But I, I did have the sense from what I was seeing in the media that this year's I could be wrong about this. Maybe I think you said that we're just not, you know, used to it at the moment, but it just seemed like it was more colorful and more um, dramatic and, and, and really elegant. I don't know what the right words are because I'm not a curator, even though I, <laughs> I do curate from time to time, but I don't do it from a curator's eye. Um, am I wrong or right? I mean, was no, you're it right. a special and, and year? And I, I want to pause for a second to say you're pretty good with words, um, oh, but but yeah, I felt like wow, you know, it, uh, down on um, let's say you went to the corner of Royal and Franklin in the Marigny at 11 p.m. or 10:30. I'm sorry, 11 a.m. 10:30 a.m. on a Tuesday morning, you were shoulder to shoulder from curb to curb with a thousand you know, costumers, it was spectacular. It was wonderful. And then, so the question was, is it, did it seem so spectacular because we were deprived of it, uh, you know, last year? And, and maybe, maybe not. Also the weather was fabulous. And, and I think people were ready. Um, one of the interesting things that I'm sure you've been told too, because most people agree, um, there's a part of me that would have predicted that it would have been more topical certainly with you know lots of lots of targets for topical satire and all and it wasn't it seemed uh it was like a flower garden blossoming it it didn't it didn't it wasn't too thorny uh this it, year it, and it was escape it's like give us a break I, let us get away from all that i think all of us as much as i say that I, I do tend to watch the real news, which is more high drama to me than what you might see on the in, uh, streaming. Nonetheless, you do get really down from, uh, from the national and international news. It's been so bad. So I think re really people did not want to do more Trump, more um, Republican uh, isolationism of, from life and people not just political and and they just wanted to really yeah enjoy the beauty of of um the world we live in outside of the political arena mm -hmm. i saw some fabulous you know some fabulous reactions to things it wasn't as though there was no topicality it's just that's not what it was about for instance i saw somebody dressed as a doctor who had inflated blue gloves and pasted them down their back in a row as if they were stegosaurus. And I just thought that was hilarious. It was, it, it was right. non, nonsensical, but it was fabulous. I think so that I mean, was- a, and Doug, if you have a picture of any of the ones we're gonna talk about, send them to me so I can put okay. them in the center. Yeah. So you, you, you did see the, you, you did see topical things, but even when you did, they tended not to be, um, oh gosh, they weren't very jagged. You know, they were, uh, and I saw some marvelous things. I saw um, there were there were uh, 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 two young men on Royal Street once again in the French Quarter who had done uh, uh, matching costumes that were um, celebrated the Ukraine. Uh, 
And I thought, well, it was topical, but but it, it was it was it was it was entirely positive. It was a you know they they had made something beautiful that said peace on it and oh, was okay. um, was right. lovely. And so so that's kind of what I mean by it wasn't a um, you know I, I didn't see a anti-Russian costume. I saw a pro-Ukraine costume, and I think that kind of characterized what was going on this year, at least through my you know, through my telescope, lens. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so actually, speaking of your lens and telescope, you uh, did a, a, a piece of graphic artwork that was in the paper. I was delighted to see. I don't know if you've done that before. That's the first time I noticed a work of yours um, in print. Not that I follow every page of the paper every day, but um, I, I loved it. And um, I thought it really was... Um, uh, reproduction quality. Um, and so I, I urged you, and I hope um, you're considering doing some kind of a, a printing of it, uh, because I think people <laughs> would buy it. I truly do. Well, thank you so much. I was completely flattered. Imagine my boss, um, my editor, um, Annette Cisco, is aware that I draw and uh, and time, you know, from time to time, I get to do a little something uh, in the paper. And Annette asked me, um, you know, would I be interested in doing some sort of a, 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 a drawing that was a, a summation or a prediction of a Mardi Gras morning? And I was like, well, as a matter of fact, I would, you know. And uh, after a couple of days of a um, couple of days of scratching around on my iPhone, which is the way I draw these days, um, it appeared yeah. in the newspaper. Yeah. Right. So you actually did that um, from start on your phone. I do. Well, you know, I'll, I'll knock out a little sketch, a little pencil yeah. sketch on something just to to get the ideas out of my head, and then I take a picture of that, and uh, and then begin working on top of it uh, in a. Uh, digital app on my phone yeah kidding okay well that's uh um i don't think that my sketches would make it to the next step <laughs> i've done on the phone because they're really sketchy but um uh that's food for thought uh, I'm, I'm sure you're not the only one i mean a lot of people um, who are have more uh, agility and are actually trained in art uh, can uh, make good use of those little pencils. For me, it's it's a really it's a doodly. Every once in a while, I doodle something for somebody for a birthday um, message mm -hmm. or something. Um, well, okay, so let's go to um, floats. Uh, we, we we've been talking about costumes, and by the way, let me just acknowledge that a lot of the really creative costumes that you were seeing. Uh, in basically, um, you know, below canal, let's just say, um, are, are by young artists who, uh, many of whom are from here, but many of whom are not from here and came here, you know, over the course of the last um, decade or so, many uh, after Katrina and have, uh, and it took them about, as they say here, I love the expression coming from New York, you know, a New York second to integrate um, uh, New Orleans, a cultural um, iconic work into what they do. And so the, what you see on those costumes is the combination of um, you know, our, our kind of legacy art, but also new interpretations by young people from everywhere. Yeah, I think the, I think the New Orleans custom gives everybody permission to make the costume that they have inside of their head. It doesn't matter where they're from. 
you get it right away. Oh, we're all going to make a costume. We're all going to go outside and stand around and look at each other and, um, you know, and, uh, and maybe tip a beer. And that's the plan. I think everybody can, everybody gets that. That's, that's a, that is a simple enough plan to, uh, to buy into. And there are people who, um, you know, um, they were working a glue gun eight hours before Mardi Gras. <laughs> <laughs> my husband and I, Tannen and I, are really slow on the uptake on Mardi Gras. We're always kind of um, slide slowly into it. We literally did our costumes around midday on Mardi Gras day. So, mm -hmm. su such as they were, they weren't really costumes. They were just taking some um, uh, primarily jewelry and organizing them on our bodies. That's <laughs> what mm -hmm. we wound up kind of doing. But, Can I um, but what I just want to so. On the other hand, uh, as much as that influence may be, again, this, the, the, the free, freeing custom of New Orleans, but also there are people who, who develop their costumes with the thought in mind of grabbing more throws from the floats. Yeah. <laughs> so they're trying to reflect what, again, is, is pretty glorious artwork on the floats themselves. The one thing I regretted about Mardi Gras this year is that I did not get out to see Rex with all those different eras of Rex represented on their floats. Mm -hmm. I tried to watch it on television. I did see some of it on television, but um, it wasn't the same as, as seeing it actually out in the street. Did you, did you see it? I did not. And uh, this, is, this is my pattern every year. I, um, I, I intend to see more things. And then I go down to the Marigny to see the costumes and enter a time warp. And the next thing I know, it's two o'clock in the afternoon and all the parades have passed. And, and there I am still. Uh, so that's my pattern. And, uh, but someday. Hey, I'll tell you something. This interested me. Um, speaking of, of that, I, I am in, in, I'm in such awe, such admiration of the, the float makers and everything. This year, I wrote about, um, gosh, a guy I had met years ago, his name was Randy Morrison, and, uh, and he was a marvelous, marvelous uh, sculptor who, who designed floats for Hermes and for the last few years, um, Pygmalion. And Randy, unfortunately, died and uh, died suddenly, and it was very sad. And uh, right during the, uh, the home stretch wow. to uh, Mardi Gras. And uh, the, the Pygmalion Parade, um, almost every sculpture in the parade was one of his. And, and he had a very distinct style. He, he, um, he, he wanted the skin. Uh, he, he liked, he liked uh, classical nudes um, that, that you know, went very well with, of course, the classical mythology that, that uh, you know, Pygmalion um, employs. And, and he wanted the skin to be utterly smooth and the anatomy to be correct and all of those things. And so it was sort of a rolling tribute uh, to him. And, and that, was a, that was a marvelous, uh, um, you know, experience, sad as it was, uh, um, a, a marvelous experience to see that, to see somebody, you know, float after float, uh, their work going by. You know, that really makes me think of the question of why we don't uh, preserve more of these floats for sustained exhibition. So mm -hmm. I'm, a, I'm a big teat Rex, um, customer yeah. you know when they have the auctions um i always go and uh I, I i've bought several of the floats i've given them away I've given some of them away and and kept some mm. um 
but I, I, I love having that artifact. And um, for a piece like uh, the one you're describing by Randy Morrison, what a shame we don't have a place where that can, could be continued to be exhibited. I mean, we imagine if we selected, um, you know, some every year, uh, if we had a, one of our, you know, neglected old buildings that could be, um, you know, made reasonably habitable uh, to, to keep them on display ongoing. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Gosh, um, I, I, I wouldn't argue. I'd be interested in that. I do think it's kind of marvelous that Mardi Gras it takes the place, funeral. you know, at, yeah. at, it, at its longest, it takes place for two months. At its shortest, it takes place for just a day or maybe even just two or three hours as a parade rolls and then it's over. Yeah. And, you know, uh, the argument for that. Black Indian maskers typically don't wear the same suit uh, two years in a row. They make a new one. Um, I, according to lore in the old days, they used to burn them, uh, you know, get rid of really? them. Yeah. Wow. And, um, I mean, that's that's lore. That is not observation on my part. But but and the same thing with the floats, the floats get uh, taken apart. Um, the sculpture is usually preserved and then used again in some other guise down the road. And the paint and the and the the the, the, the float hulls themselves get rather immediately painted out with white paint. And there's something just marvelous about this that it's it's a very um, momentary uh, you know art form. It doesn't linger. And uh, there's something uh, there's something fabulous about that. I, I can agree with you. Of course, I have a, a hoarder's gene, G-E-N-E. <laughs> -E. So I tend to want to, you know, as I say, uh, go buy those little teat rex floats, yeah. little, you know, floats about yay big. Sure. Um, and uh, um, so I, I kind of want, and, and you've been to my home, so I know you know that we like to have a lot of stuff around. It's fabulous. It's a little fabulous. Too much, a little too much. But um, so I, I do have that craving for uh, the longer lifespan of something. You know, we 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 exited the conversation on costumes. We went to floats. Um, the the other uh, aspect, of course, are the balls, and the balls. I've been to a few, uh, I'll, I'll be honest, I always felt like I could do better balls. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm a, a, you know, an occasional um, event producer and um, have a, a, a sense of, of, I've always wanted to do a, a Mardi Gras um, event and particularly the balls because there's so, some of them are just so, incredibly boring. Of course, they're boring to me as somebody who doesn't necessarily know all of the old family names. I know some, but not all. So it does, I go, I don't get excited over the maids that have these, you know, um, uh, ubiquitous um, uh, names that everybody recognizes. So that, that just doesn't excite me. Um, so I, I, I think that on the other hand, um, some of the, uh, the balls really do make an effort to, again, integrate art into um, the experience that you have at them. And 
one of the ones that does that is is a Hermes. I just happen to have been lucky for a few years. Uh, I, I don't get invited anymore. I'm not sure why, but um, maybe, <laughs> I, maybe I was just a little too wild one year when I was wearing my blue tarp gown. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe there's some other issue. Who knows? But anyway, um, that's that's an event that has. Um, great music always at, at any rate just making sure that the music is so you know if you have trombone shorty at your ball um that's a lot different from um i don't know a jimmy maxwell kind of uh, uh world that some of them have so uh, there's the balls there's the balls the costumes the floats uh what am i missing uh, you know uh, one of the few uh oh there goes my blue healer sorry um, one of the few things that I did do this year was go to just a little neighborhood costume sale, um, Cluett and Royal, um, that uh, was put on by a, a handful of people. And it wasn't any kind of really big grand deal like Cree McCree will put together. Um, but it was just kind of nice to be out in the sun and, and looking at a, a little bit of glitter here and there and, and got costumes. So, so there's literally the markets. I think they in themselves are another kind of uh, work of art, right? There's that, sure. So, yeah, um, it goes on and on. When you mentioned the balls, there was a really marvelous uh, artistic <laughs> confluence this year that uh, that I, I got to witness in part. So there's a, a, a marching troupe called the Doms de Perlage, and they are oh, about yeah. 10 years old. I was going to ask you And that. they've dedicated themselves, they devoted themselves to all things that have to do with Mardi Gras beating from the from the uh, uh, ball gowns, you know, the, the, the custom made ball gowns to Mardi Gras Indian, uh, Black Indian massacre patches. And when they got started, they invited people, um, you know, Indian maskers and others to come and show them how it's done because they wanted to get it right. And then every year they pick a theme and they make patches. And so you know, it might be ain't there no more, or I went on down to the Audubon Zoo, right? So this year, uh, the Dames de Perlage did uh, public art. They did murals and graffiti. Um, I can't exactly what they know what they called their, remember what they called their theme, but, but it, you, you saw Hugo Girl, you saw B. Mike Odoms, you saw um, Skella, you saw all these great street artists reproduced in these 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 microscopic mosaics that they wear and that was fabulous so they appeared in three or four parades and then they did their own parade on Lunde Gras and I couldn't have been happier I'm, I'm devoted to street art I think it's wonderful so that was that was all aces as far as I was concerned well sadly coincidentally there was a a, a person in New Orleans who um, a lot of people refer to as the gray ghost his name was Fred Radke and he was an anti-graffiti activist, um, took it very seriously. He viewed graffiti the same way people view litter. Um, he, he wanted it removed and he did so. Well, on, on Mardi Gras day, I never saw this person, but, but, but I've been told and seen photographs, there was somebody costumed as the gray ghost. He was dressed, he or she, as a cartoon ghost, only the ghost outfit was gray and they had a roller with paint. And I thought on the one hand, that's a satire, you know, it's, a, it's, it's kind of a joke. On the other hand, in New Orleans, there's probably no greater tribute than if somebody does a costume based on you. And I loved 
that on the same year that the Dames de Perlage in costumes celebrated street art, somebody else celebrated the anti, you know, anti-graffiti activism is marvelous. So, um, so I, I was, I was. Uh, That's I, kind I, of a perfect. You, you were absolutely right. That is a really important analogy for how we deal with culture in this city, and that is kind of mixing um, the the uh, accolades with um, kind of politically incorrect stuff. So sure. I'll never forget one of my very first visits here to a restaurant, an Italian restaurant, and on the menu, I'm coming from New York City, right? This is early 70s. I've been here for enough years to maybe be called a New Orleanian, but, and, and on the menu was Dago salad. I said, what, what? <laughs> so, but we do that. We, we have all of these, um, uh, I, I don't know why, again, it's what you said in the early part of the conversation, a certain um, acceptance and acknowledgement of um, different strains of, um, of our culture. Um, I love nothing more than what you've been writing um, in general about all these. We're kind of out of time, but um, I welcome you to uh, come back with the next round. And um, I also invite you to please send me some images of what we've been talking about because um, we will have the opportunity to B-roll um, over our visuals uh, uh, where we're talking because this does get put out on Facebook Live when it's on the air on Fridays at noon on WBOK AM, 12.30 AM, just making sure everybody knows that. And um, also I don't uh, promote my newsletter enough to my radio audience. It's like I have completely two completely different audiences. And I just want you all to know that we've put a newsletter out um, and, and it's a Crosstown Conversations is the place where you can um, uh, if, if you email Crosstown Conversations, I think it's at gmail.org. I'm not positive, but um, uh, and get yourself signed up to receive the newsletter. It's a lot of fun because uh, we, for example, in this case, we will definitely have images that Doug's been talking about in the newsletter. And uh, usually uh, my letter that opens the newsletter has a little bit of a rant to it somewhere in there and that and that's uh, i'm told is sometimes fun for folks uh, doug thank you so much for uh, uh, giving me your time and for what you do and yeah definitely uh keep on keeping on as they say and um uh give me a heads up if you if you print that um that visual that you did for the paper recently. oh thank you i'm flattered definitely has potential thanks All for right. having me take care enjoy and i'll guess i'll see you out on uh, the on the streets and the jazz fest okay bye-bye that far off that was doug mccash and um we're going to go on and talk to uh one of the more interesting contemporary artists in town hannah um chalu is uh, somebody who does some uh, really interesting work and um i think you're going to enjoy hearing from her about what she's doing in her studio that's next um, okay, Hannah Chalou is um, one of the really interesting and one of my favorite artists in town. You like my husband. My husband also has been doing art based on envir the environment since he was a teenager on the beaches of Coney Island, uh, making sculptures out of debris. 
um, on the beach. And so, uh, and that's continued throughout his whole life uh, doing work on it. And I think a lot of people don't realize how committed artists are to addressing the issue of our environment and how we interrelate with it. And, and that's um, a really a critical question. Um, so um, I'm fascinated by the event that you've put together for this coming Sunday. And I want you to, uh, first of all, let's start with literally just, uh, it's, it's chock full of things going on. So it's not just looking at art, it is definitely experiencing a multidisciplinary event um, that includes your art. So uh, give us a little bit of a narrative about it. Tell us, tell us what's going on. Sunday sure. where yeah 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 thank you thank you Jean for having me on um yeah I'm Hannah Shalou and I I'm an artist and I grew up in New Orleans and this Sunday from 12 to 6 um my studio mate Evan Baird and I are opening up our studios so for the first time opening to the public, um, our workspaces, which we're transitioning a bit to really, you know, display our artworks, but you'll also be invited to see kind of a bit of the behind the scenes of our process, sort of the inspiration and works in progress. And in my studio courtyard, which, you know, the public has definitely not been to before, I have an immersive living installation and I, that really gestated during the pandemic and really um, there's a lot of living plants and it really developed over the sort of past two years. And for the open studio, I knew, I knew that I wanted to invite visitors to just sort of like wander through and have this experience. Um, but I'm, I'm really excited to be working with um, the choreography company Cabin Fever Live Art, which is Alana Jacobs and the very multi-talented musician Denise Frazier who have put together a performance that will activate the installation and dancer Caitlin Guerin and Denise will be performing inside of the installation and sort of improvising together in these 15-minute performances. There'll be a performance at 2 p.m. and a performance at 4 p.m. And the performances are free, but we're limiting it based on space and COVID safety. So there's a link I can share at some point during this interview where people can sign up. Well, let's do it now and later. Okay, I guess the best way would be through my Instagram, which is studio.hnnh.chlw. And in my bio on Instagram is, um, the link in my bio is where you can sign up. Also on my website, which is www.hanasholu.com, which is H-A-N-N-A-H-C-H-A-L-E-W.com. Um, if you go into the news section, there's a bit on the open studio and the link is there as well. Um, and yeah, I encourage folks to sign up as early as possible. There's still a few spots for each performance. Um, and if there's enough demand, we might add a third performance as well. And then there's some studios upstairs in the building and at 3 p.m. these two Louisiana born painters, Annie Blanker and Sophie Trependahl will be leading a tour upstairs to their studios. And we'll also have Taco de Ojo selling tacos and there'll be a cash bar and should just be a really fun fun event and 
you know, asking folks to still mask inside and hopefully we can gather safely. So I, I'm I, you know, really impressed and fascinated with um, an, an artist, not only opening your studio to people to see your work, which is not all that common. It, it, it does happen, but it's not, um, it's, it hasn't been a practice uh, forever. Uh, usually studio visits were a little bit more um, aimed at, let's say collectors or critics or galleries or you know museums or whatever and not and not to the general public so tell me about your decision to do this kind of an event yeah um i sort of you know we're all artists kind of stuck in their studios during the pandemic and just have this whole new body of work and have been wanting to have a solo show where all of this work can really talk to each other and haven't frankly haven't found a venue able to do that and I was like oh I have my studio I can make this space whatever I want and it's also kind of cool to bypass you know the gatekeepers and really make my own experience and then collaborating with my friends and really just like helping promote each other's work um, and also I've been working Part of, you know, I make work about what it means to be living in Southern Louisiana in this time of global warming. And I work with a lot of, with communities in Cancer Alley. And I recently got a Monroe research grant from Tulane and use that grant money to develop an ink made from fossil fuel pollution. And I was working with an activist in Cancer Alley and she was kind of informing where to find the pollution and helping me just about the community information and then went with me and then I collected the pollution and made this ink. And special for the open studio, I'll be releasing an edition of prints using this ink. Um, so also excited to be able to share that with the public and I'll be selling some, some smaller prints and sculptures as well. Um, and also really wanting to have people in my studio courtyard it's a you know i have the installation out at crevasse 22 which is kind of a similar in a similar vein the sort of living installation where i'm collaborating with plants that are growing over these structures and kind of working together um but this one is kind of pretty immobile it's it's locked in my studio courtyard so wanting to be able to bring people in and then working with alana jacobs and denise frazier um has been really, really exciting. Um, I hope that, you know, I believe that art has power in itself. Visual art has power to change people's perspectives. And I'm really excited to utilize music and dance to also tap into other people's senses and move people on different levels. You know, Hannah, it occurs to me as I listen to you that it would be intriguing and I, um, I'm sort of notorious for giving people suggestions, so forgive me. But um, I, I just think about my childhood and how uh, two, two things really influenced my appreciation and engagement in the arts. One was the WPA art in a post office, big post office near my house, and also at a courthouse not far from me where I lived in the South Bronx. and. Um, and then the ability to go to places like MoMA and the Met when I was young 
uh, by subway in New York and with teachers and classes initially and then on my own. So um, I, I, I can't help but jump to the idea of youth uh, from nearby schools uh, uh, being able to maybe do some visits in your studio mm -hmm. or at an event like this that is programmed in coordination with maybe an art class um, or kids yeah. more, um, at one of the schools because I think that kids are so Im uh, um, impressionable and uh, we do know that um, when younger people are engaged in the arts, it has an effect on, on, on everything they do, on their learning, on their thinking about their own lives. And, and if they happen to have a proclivity to actually making art, it definitely stimulates them making art. So just a thought. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, yeah, yeah. Idea. so tell me more about, um, a little bit more about your work and your, your studio mates work. Um, and uh, um, and then we'll make sure to come back and, and run those details again to get people to come out. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I haven't even talked about my studio mate, Evan Baird is also a native New Orleanian and he is an oil painter and he's gonna be sharing a new body of work he's made inspired by the Louisiana swamp landscape. So we're definitely, you know, thinking about similar, similar subject matter in our work um, and he's, a really talented woodworker. And during the pandemic, he's actually started his own fabrication studio, Octavian Studios. So he's also gonna be sharing some of his fine woodworking works. Um, and yeah, um, the body of work I'll be sharing, it ranges from works on paper that are sort of flat on the wall to freestanding sculptures. And all of the works contain sugarcane and single-use disposable plastic. And with these two materials, I'm really thinking about the legacies of enslavement. Obviously, sugarcane was the staple chattel slavery crop. And then single-use disposable plastic as sort of um, a stand-in for you know the pet, our current petrochemical age and thinking about how since the time of enslavement, um, you know, we've exploited people and the landscape, this through line of racism and capitalism that has, has got us into our current situation. And I combine these two materials and then off, all of them are, except for the, the flat drawings, are embedded with living plants. So then the plants kind of cre um, create ecosystems out of this waste and provide a, a, a hope or a possibilities for a livable future like you know if if we have made this place unlivable no doubt plants are still going to be flourishing and wanting to kind of create these these visions of possible futures um that you know are quite beautiful but when you get up close you notice the trash and kind of the gnarliness of the of the materials embedded in the work and hopefully that um gets you to think about well a you know, we're, we're all implicated in using plastic. We can't, we can't get away from this material, but you know, what changes can we make? And then collectively, how can we push our local government and on a higher level national government to make the changes so that this is not the future we inherit? Um, so I, actually, I'm really glad you mentioned that because I, I'm perplexed every time I have to throw plastic into my garbage along with, um, uh, biodegradable uh, things because 
we don't have a system right now of, of trash, trash removal that clearly indicates that plastic is not going into the ground somewhere or, or worse, you know, straight into the water system. Who knows, um, really? I have no clue what the trash collectors do with that trash, but it, it certainly can't be the right thing. So why is it taking us so long, I've wondered, uh, in this city to, to address the issue of, of how we dispose of our waste? Um, and so I'm happy to hear you focus on it. Um, but what's your thought? I mean, when you say you're encouraging action to change government's policies on this, you know, do you have like a scenario of how you think it should work? I know I'm, I'm asking it's such uh, yeah, a technical yeah. question. Yeah, I mean, but I think well, we all have to be thinking about this. You know, yeah, no, help, I, if government can't figure it out, let's help them figure it out. Yeah, I mean, I'll preface that with saying, which I think Tannen would agree that, you know, the role of the artist to ask the questions and we don't need to come up with the solutions. But I mean, I think specifically in Southern Louisiana where we're so enmeshed in the oil and gas industry and we're also so vulnerable, like we can see both sides of it and we're really entrenched. I think just really holding these industries accountable and in Southern Louisiana, I don't know if you're familiar with ITEP, the industrial tax exemption program. You know, we are not Properly, we're not even properly taxing these industries. Like if they were actually, we were taxing these industries and we could have a good school system and all of these things. I think that's, you know, somewhere to start, which is changing that paradigm of just like being afraid that we'll lose this industry if we actually tax them. And then making these industries clean up their messes. Like all of the like, you know, paths through the marsh that were dredged to access pipelines, those are also supposed to be filled in and nobody, nobody's enforcing that. So like that would actually be a way to create jobs, like jobs to be enforcing this. And then if we were raising, had a bunch of nurseries to be raising the plants needed to like sort of replenish these ecosystems, that would not only be creating green jobs literally, but then also be counteracting these negative forces um, so I think for Southern Louisiana, like it's a huge paradigm shift we have to make, but like, I think the, we kind of need to <laughs> be like, let me just comment on what you said about it's the artist's job to ask the question, not answer it. I, I, I get a lot of, um, pressure and pushback from my husband, artist, Robert Tan, who, um, you know, uh, um, about the connection between science and art. So I'm always talking about the creative industries and, and he first had to remind me to include engineering, which doesn't seem on the face of it, a creative industry, but think about trying to produce a Gary, a Frank Gary building without engineers, you know, yeah. engineers are implicit in achieving design. Um, and then the process of scientific exploration and research an invention is creativity. So the linkage is, is, is there, it's just not that acknowledged. And, and I would say right now, we can't afford to just ask questions anymore. And I'm not being critical of what you just said. <laughs> I'm just knowing that, uh, and the Ukraine model, you know, we're all sort of celebrating the heroism of the Ukraine people and their resistance and so on and so on. But, um, Really, what they're doing is is out of desperation um, against a, a really evil enemy 
and, and, and quite frankly, the pollution of these of Cancer Alley is a lethal, evil enemy. And um, we have to, uh, I think, as citizens, take it on. And East Baton Rouge, I'm sure you've heard of the story of the East Baton Rouge people saying no to an ExxonMobil um, additional tax credit would have allowed them to do more development in that area. And they're saying, no, I think we'd rather have that money for our schools. And they pulled it off. And to me, that was like a landmark moment in our state that folks were able to, um, hold on, sorry, uh, to uh, um, literally um, uh, change a, a, a consistent century long process of giving um, energy companies what they want to develop here theoretically for jobs and economic development when the truth of the matter is they really don't generate that many jobs. And uh, if anybody's getting uh, money from them because they're not paying the taxes as you said they should be, uh, it's, it's under the table and it's not a pretty picture. So um, I think what you're doing with your art and, and your focus on this is extraordinarily important, but I think ultimately we have to uh, join more coalitions of scientists, inventors, artists, creatives, and um, force government, not wait for them to figure it out, but literally yeah. force government to do the right thing on this because it really is, I, I just, I, I'm literally, every time I open a package of fruit or, or cereal or whatever it is, and I have to throw it in the trash, I feel guilt. I just yeah. feel, what, but on the other hand, I, I honestly, I'm not going to haul off to some centralized location to dump my plastic because in the meantime, where the hell am I going to keep it in my house? I don't have a, my kitchen is a galley. It's not a big kitchen. It's just literally an old sun porch that is uh, you can you can stand in one place and touch everything you need to the sink, the stove, the counter. So. I, I, I appreciate you calling attention to this, but I really feel like you've got to get together with some of your other artists, my husband and others. There's many artists dealing with the environmental issue, right, in different ways. And that's why you have your dancers involved and you're this multidisciplinary event you're putting on, but we've got to do more. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go off on this, but this is a subject of us that's close to my heart. Um, oh yeah, it's really important. And like, yeah, part of my work is, you know, making the artwork that raises attention. And then I also do volunteer and work with groups in Cancer Alley. Like for this print, I was working with a group called Inclusive Louisiana, which a lot, it was just, um, led by black women. And they're just kind of, yeah, standing up and saying, no, we're not gonna just allow more petrochemical expansion and like allow our communities to be poisoned. Um, so part of this grant, I was able to make a direct donation to them. And then, you know, using my artwork to help create protest signs and all of that. So like, I do agree that an important part is like to be in the streets and just like, yeah, pushing, pushing the envelope and just whichever, you know, whatever platforms we have using, using that to like, like move the needle because it's like it's going to take everybody and like everything and i think that um holding these legislators in baton rouge who are getting ready to come into their session annual session um accountable for the, the policies that they either promulgate or um don't do anything about uh they, they need to be the pressure needs to be on them just just as 
again, I'm using the analogy because it's so present for us right now of what's going on between Russia and Ukraine, but the, the, this, this pathetic, destructive, horrible war that Russia is engaged in right now has also been revelatory about their insufficiencies and their ineffectiveness uh, uh, as a so-called war machine. And, and so, I mean, sometimes, you know, uh, they, they shine that light on themselves in a way. And I don't think we're, we're going to, the legislators in Louisiana right now are going to shine a light on themselves because they're having a free for all, quite frankly, some of the more conservative um, uh, players, actors on the stage are, nobody's touching them. They're just, they're doing what they want to do. And I think that until we really uh, expose and, and put pressure on um, their failure to address these issues and or their deliberate engagement with them. And every once in a while, there'll be an article that, that calls out how much money X candidate has taken from you know, the petrochemical industry, but it's not enough. And, um, and people just need to know about it. I mean, that's, that's the whole thing that, against Zelensky is doing and, and the US in fact is doing is, is, is revealing what is actually going on because um, you know when, when somebody like Russia shuts down all the news media so that uh, people in Russia have no idea what's going on because you can't even protest on the streets. Um, we have to take a greater action. I'm sorry, I really, I don't know what put me on this pedestal today, but I've been reading too much about what's going on over there. Um, yes. let's, let's go back to your event, the time, date, place, and, um, and where people can get information on you, because I really want, I want people to come out on Sunday. I think it's really yeah. important to experience it and for you to interact with them. Yeah, for sure. Um, so it's this Sunday, March 13th, from 12 p.m. to 6 p.m. My studio is at 2918B Toulouse Street, right off Lafitte Greenway in Mid-City. And the performances will be at 2 p.m. and 4 p.m. There'll be studio tours upstairs at 3 p.m. There'll be food and drinks available. And probably the best way is to follow it on Instagram. If people have Instagram, my account is studio.hnnh.chlw or I couldn't even get it down. Okay, it's studio.hnnh.chlw and if you just search my name in Instagram, it'll connect you. Okay. Or my or my website also has a bit of information, but the Instagram, you know, is updating and sharing a lot of like videos of the rehearsal and get you excited for what you'll see. Um, so so we're, we're pretty much just about out of time, but let me, um, I just wanna ask you a quick question. What kind of a building are you in that has so many artists in it? Um, it's an old warehouse. I think it was the original like mill for this neighborhood. It's the, the, the building is a whole square block and it's old wood beams I have like 14 foot ceilings and what's the name of the building on the side of it it says okay. the Lafitte, Lafitte artist complex but it's I mean it's a mixture of musicians and artists and fabricators and machine shops it's it's a really cool kind of old school mix um and it's right in the heart of mid-city which is pretty unique for artist studios these days 
Yeah, because I have to tell you honestly, I'm, I'm of course very interested in that kind of a space and have um, you know fostered one during Katrina that unfortunately mm -hmm. we couldn't hold on to when we had studios occult in the school because it had to yeah. be again. So um, I'm I'm thrilled to hear about it, and I I'm surprised that I didn't know more about it. So I will be coming on Sunday for sure. I really want to see it, and um, I thank you for considering. Uh, allowing people to come in and see um, your workspace. I mean, that's not everybody's cup of tea that, uh, to get folks in their in their uh, place, but I think it's a great thing. And I, I hope everybody comes out for the um, in-studio event at Hannah Chalou's um, Digs, let's say, and um, where uh, other artists and dancers and musicians will all be um, available. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. I really appreciate it. Thank now let's you. get those plastic people. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds great. Thanks, Jean. Take care. Thank you, Hannah. Okay, Bye. cool. See you Sunday? Yep. Okay, cool. Bye. Bye.